Hello, Internet, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Camera Corner Podcast, where your geek slash nerd discussion podcast. We only take one topic from TV, movie, video game, book, whatever we've got time of that day, and we bat around until we get bored. I'm, as always, your host, Patrick, with me as my co host, Jared. Say hi, Jared. My name is Content Warning, because we're talking about Fatal today for two hours. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a lie. That's a, that's a, I can't even tell, that's, I can't even call it misleading. It's just that's, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, uh, this is this is gonna be another one of our uh, uh, banter discussion topics, um, you know. Except this time we're following my you know you know uh, philosophy of lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness, um, and we're <laughs> yeah. gonna be talking about some um, uh, alternate uh, RPGs that we do like. Yes. Um, like uh, specifically not the big two D and D or Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, like, uh, we don't have like a set number that we're trying to go through. We're just gonna, gonna, uh, like, like I say in the intro, bat around so we get bored. Right. Um, so, uh, do you want to start off or you want me to start off? I'll start us off, uh, cause I'm going to break the rule before then like allowing it to go on as normal. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to break the rule and discuss, uh, cause basically what we want to point out is like, like right now, like. Everything is Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition or Pathfinder Second Edition. Yeah, like that's everywhere you go. That's the the two big ones. And it's, um, and it's mostly Fifth Edition. Yeah, uh, Fifth Edition has the has the large gap. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and start off, and because like, uh, and I mean, we'll be honest in our discussion here. Like, there are definitely pros and cons, and some of these systems might have a lot of cons, but. Uh, at least all the things I'm going to list, I've definitely played a full campaign for. Um, but Mo- most of the ones that I'm going to list off, I've played full campaigns, or at least I've read the rule book. Um, but I'm going to start us off with D&D 4th Edition. Uh, I want to talk about it a little bit because it has a lot of hate. Um, I I won't say I ever hated 4th Edition. I got swept up in the... Uh, cultural. Oh yeah, it was der- fun der- to hate on fourth edition. But I never actually got to play it. Um, but if I'm if I'm being totally honest with myself, uh, from what I hear about fourth edition, I would have really liked that game. Yeah. Um, no, I think you would have too. Um, fourth edition. Uh, fourth edition does one thing better than any tabletop game I've ever played for role playing. And that's combat. Fourth edition combat is buttery ass smooth, um, and every encounter, no matter how, no matter what the stakes are, uh, always feels expansive and epic. Um, the way that fourth edition mod- modules were written, specifically, because uh, I ran, a, uh, I didn't really run a campaign of it, like as in like a homebrew campaign. Uh, I ran D and D encounters for a comic shop, so I've ran. Like, every module lasted 12 weeks, and I ran that for, like, five years or however long uh, Encounters ran. So I ran a lot of modules for 4th Edition. Um, But all of them are designed around, like, every session would be, like, a two- to three-hour combat session with, like, role-playing, like, thrown in there to, uh, to bookend it. You know, you start off to lead into the combat, and then you wrap up the combat afterwards with some role play um, as you're doing whatever the mission calls for. Um, and every single attack that you make in 4th edition changes the battlefield. 
Uh, fifth edition is a, a lot for uh, theater of the mind, which is what makes it accessible. Um, fourth edition doesn't do that. Fourth edition, you have to have a map in play um, because uh, um, there is no uh, you and your opponent get within like two adjacent five foot squares and then attack each other until you die. Literally, that that scenario cannot happen in fourth edition. It's not unlikely to happen. It can't happen because every attack tends to move. Like almost every attack either, um, either moves to, you or the monster you're fighting. Yes. Uh, another big thing that like fifth edition carried like to a very very small degree is marking. Uh, a lot of martial classes uh, could mark enemies, and it would essentially draw aggro. Is what it did. Uh, fourth edition gets a lot of comparisons to like uh, uh, MMOs, MMOs, which um, yes, like it's a very fair comparison to make, but it's also not the derogatory comparison people seem to made it out to be. Because honestly, taking inspiration from MMOs is, was would be pretty smart because MMOs were pretty damn popular when fourth edition came out. Yeah, um, and so sure you have moves that. Don't have cooldown times, but they have like encounter uses and daily uses. But honestly, that's not that different if you think about it from something like a wizard spell slots or something like that in fifth edition, where it's like you can only do so many things per battle anyway. Um, fourth edition just would make those things a little bit more explicit by calling them encounter abilities or daily abilities or at will abilities, and. Um, uh, and all of them would have like little flavor texts on them, which I can see like some people being like, you know, like when we do combat like for our games, I usually will describe like the the specifics of how the attacks work. These actually had like flavor text to tell you exactly what you're doing for the attack, right? Um, which can be a little, a little bit like, oh okay, because it's it's literally like you're pushing the button and then the character does the animation for the attack, like like an MMO, um, but. Uh, um, I wish I had kept all of my encounter things because every one of those games came with like a big map and all this other like nice stuff to have with it. Right. Um, but the other thing that uh, Fourth Edition introduced that um, uh, I've been thinking about Fourth Edition a lot lately, and that's one of the reasons why I brought it up first, is uh, Fourth Edition had the minion the minion mechanic, where like uh, monsters would come in and they would do like sets amount of damage. Um, but they would all die. They all had one hit point. Um, now, 4th edition had a lot of abilities that were like, hey, even on a miss, you do half damage. Um, minions could, could only be killed by an actual direct hit. Um, and uh, this is something I might actually uh, steal for 5th edition. Um, uh, Vaughn actually had uh, asked us on like last week's podcast, what would we put in 5th edition? And I didn't have a good answer for him at the time, but the more and more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, I would I would put minions in. Uh, something that is, that can be a, enough of a threat for the party, because you can you can field just a field of minions, uh, minions just a, a bunch of them, and they all do, you know, even if they're all doing like 5 or 10 damage every time they hit, because that's just what their set damage is, mm-hmm. that stacks up. They make that makes them a threat, but it also allows your like your fighters that have multiple attacks in one go just go and kind of like clear the field. That, that lets you feel like a grand adventurer. Um, whereas like normally in, in like five e, if I'm if I'm putting anything on the board that's going to like actually threaten the party anyway by like ha- by actually whittling them down, even though I'm putting them there not to be a threat but just to whittle, 
those things are going to have like 30 or 40 hit points yeah. by the time you're 10th level. And, and uh, while, while, yeah, you might you might take it down in a round, that'll be your whole action. Yeah, that's that's not just your action. Like You've had to expend resources to take down somebody that was just there to be put in your way. He's just the, as you're heroically making your way up the staircase to, to save the princess, like... You're not like sweeping through these guys and pushing them off, uh, off uh, over the uh, the banister and stuff like that. You're slowly making your way up one by one by one by one. Yeah, and uh, and um, for- though the also like you know the I don't I don't I I, I don't know if, if fourth edition had this um, like uh, but one of the things that three five struggle with it's very hard to just kind of knee jerk. Crank out a a, a a low level person, yeah, because of how feet heavy three three five was. Yeah, it's like no, it, it, there 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 were no stormtroopers stat blocks. In, yeah, in 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 three point five, uh, I don't know if the, if they solved this in fourth in fourth edition. Yeah, I mean, of, of saying like you know this is just nondescript bandit number seven. Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's essentially because mi- minions were anything like they could be goblins yeah. and they'd be, they'd have their own stat blocks. Right. Um, so, like, uh, they could be, you know, goblins, bandits, whatever have you, and that's what they would be used for. Um, I I love that. That um, uh, I, I will even defend to this day the idea of the fortitude, reflex, and will armor classes. Um, just because, me personally, I think it's more satisfying as a player to roll attacks than to force the DM to roll saves. Oh, I, I agree with that. Um, um, for for a player, I think it's more ex- exciting for them to roll their own saves uh, if like if the reverse has to be true, mm-hmm. um, because then you have the anticipation of like uh, of you want to succeed and the failure of like oh no. But if you're rolling an attack that like uh, let's say toll the dead, a spell that never works, um, if you Cast. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping Watson doesn't listen to this. Uh, it's Pete. Pete's the one that, that loves Told the Dead. Uh, 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 he's a player of my Thursday game uh, loves that spell so much. He actually asked for his character to get a special bell that allows him to like do an extra D12 damage. And I allowed it just because he cast Told the Dead more than he cast anything else in the entire game. Um, but like uh, he gets to cast that and then I roll and then save and then nothing happens. And it's just, oh, well, that sucks, I guess. Moving on. Whereas, you know, like, if he was rolling to attack for it, like, it adds to some excitement some more. Right. Um, and it also allowed, when you were building characters, to in, to build in weaknesses to them. You know, you could have the chunkiest, most badass fighter, but he's got no will AC. So, you know, you can keep casting will spells on him and... Uh, and whittle his ass down. Yeah, um, I, ne- I never, I never played uh, fourth edition, but a lot of these mechanics they Wizards of the Coast tested out in um, Star Wars Saga Edition. Um, it had a lot of those, like the for- the force powers in that in that game were once per encounter deals. Yeah. Um, same as uh, they also had a will reflex will and fort DCs in that as well. Um, like uh, you know, and they they. They hadn't introduced minions yet, but they definitely did pepper in. Like, yeah, I realize that you know you might be too high level for the stormtroopers to be relevant, but put them in there because they make sense for Star Wars, right? 
Uh, <laughs> a, 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 a 20th level level Jedi is still going to, the player of a 20th level Jedi is still going to have fun taking out every single Stormtrooper that you put in there. Right. Yeah. Because that's what's satisfying. And that's what, what Fourth Edition has a really good, uh, good, good uh, what has going for it is that it it has a really good feel for the fights. Um, a lot of people said it was too easy, and people that say that did not play the game. Because um, sure, like you would like your starter characters in fourth edition would start with like fifteen to twenty HP. Mm-hmm. You actually started with a lot of HP as a first level character, but you had a game that was also designed with minions and other things that were going to there to whittle you down. Um, so a first level character in fourth edition is taking a lot more hits, but they're also going to be fighting a lot more enemies per encounter, even at those early levels. Because also like yo. Know- being the wizard with four HP at level one wasn't fun. Yeah. No. Um, and the point is, you're supposed to have finished your studies by this point. Like you're supposed to, like, be adept at least to go out and adventure. Otherwise, why make wizards like be level one characters anyway? Why wouldn't they just continue their studies until they're tenth level wizards before ever leaving their homes? Well, honestly, that. that... That feeds into a completely different discussion that I, I would I, I would have about like you know honestly first edition is just for the players that need to learn the rules of the game. <laughs> there, if you're an if you got a table of experienced players, there's no reason to start less than level three. Uh, that's fa- that, that that is fair. I I can see that. Um, uh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, we have a game starting up for Sundays that it's gonna, that we're starting off at level two. Like there are reasons to do it uh, depending on like. Like where you want your character, your players to like be at. Yeah. Um, but also, like you can, you can get, you can. If you're starting at higher level, you can get to the point of your story quicker, as opposed to having every demi lich have a conspiracy that somehow kicks off by a bunch of rats in a basement. Yeah. Uh, like I'm saying, that's that's one of the things that fourth edition had going for it because those characters were. No, no, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then. Uh, fourth edition also had utility powers, which were essentially role-playing powers. Um, they were things that had like specific uses that no, that weren't always in combat. Uh, for instance, like rangers would have an ability where if one of the party members like falls down a trap, um, they could use that utility power to like shoot an arrow to catch their clothing before they fell. Okay, that's neat. Yeah, uh, super specific though. Yeah. So like those those situations weren't always like the best, but I mean I could I could I could I could you know one I could do that if you fall into a pit trap, um, uh, if the bard is hitting on a trap at the bar I can totally shoot it, shoot his collar into the wall there. <laughs> um, but but like when you say something like well that's really specific it's like well yes but this is also this this edition was made for adventuring. Yeah. Like, uh, like in my in my Thursday game, I think I've mentioned before. Like, we'll go weeks and weeks and weeks without um, any um, combat dice being rolled because it's a very role play heavy game. Very much. Um, but like uh, a fourth edition game wouldn't work like that. Like um, those those people are meant to be out there, and people got to die in fourth edition. To yeah, uh, <laughs> like that's how it just works. Like people got to die. And you you want to you want to learn more about the fundamental ways the universe is held together? Then that family of goblins got to go. <laughs> so uh, that's so like I said. Um, uh, as for if, if you've never played it before, because it is kind of like the black sheep of the family. Fourth edition has a lot of merits, and if that sounds fun to you, if like if when you sit down, your thing is I want to be rolling some dice and getting into interesting combats. 
fourth edition is set up for that specifically. It also did one of the things that that three five didn't, which was it it made it so like building villains was like much more simple because like because of like because because they're the, not they're not built with the same engine that players are built with. Yes, which is what three point five got wrong. Yeah, like uh, having having those characters have a million feats means that when you're running it, you have to keep all of those feats in mind. They simplified it a lot down for fourth edition while still making the villains very threatening. Um, uh, they did that by kind of like gamifying the system a little bit so that the enemies will always have more hit points than the players. Um, but to be fair, the, the enemies are also likely to be ganged up on in a way that the players aren't. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, and, but all that being said, every module I ever ran for fourth edition wasn't super, um, like role playing heavy choice wasn't so much of a thing. Like fourth edition modules tend to be very railroady. That is kind of one of the more negative things about it. That's one of the things I know that a lot of people don't like about it is that, you know, like you're not you're not getting into a lot of moral quandaries in fourth edition. Like it, it is very like a it's monster more, has appeared. Let's go fight the monster. It's more more written as like to to borrow again. It's more written like an MMO instance. Yeah. Um, and once again, if that's what your party's into, because if your party's already like a uh, beer and pretzels type of party that just wants to go into dungeons and fight things. Fourth edition might be your best bet. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to bring that one up. Uh, but yeah, uh, check it out if it sounds interesting to you. Those books are cheaper now. <laughs> I would imagine if the well, if the game is out of print. Um, let's see. Uh, for mine, um, I'm going to go with a. Uh, I have I have I have run two full campaigns of this system. Um, and I I love it I love it to death even though it did absolutely everything in its power to be as unapproachable as possible uh, from anyone on a budget and that is the uh, Fantasy Flight uh, Star Wars uh, Star Wars role playing game. Yep. yep. Um, the, I have a lot of experience with this one too. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have I, I like I said I ran I ran two campaigns uh, for. Different groups in this game. I, I love it to death. Um, the game, by default, kind of sets itself in that post-episode th- post episode 4, pre-episode 5 time period. Um, the shadows of the Empire, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so the Death Star has blown up and the Empire is on the back foot. Um, there, The system consists of three different games. Uh, Edge of the Empire for playing a kind of roguish scoundrel on the fringes of, of the galaxy. Um, Age of Rebellion, which yeah. is kind of very much you want to play the heroes of the Rebel Alliance. And Force and Destiny, which is kind of the weirdest one to try and play as like a group of people playing a force and destiny game. Right. Um, because it is the, it, it is the force mysticism, uh, aspect, um, playing in a era where you're, you're kind of playing as fledgling light side users who are being hunted. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's probably the most difficult one I could think of to try and play in a vacuum outside of the other two games. Um, I, I often, it, both campaigns of that I've run use resources from all three books. Um, 
but I have I have heard of people running solely an Edge of the Empire game or solely a Age of, Age of Rebellion game. Um, I I ran one of the modules out of the uh, from like one of the first modules that came out. Um, yeah. Like uh, technically, I ran two of them. I ran the one that came with the uh, the GM screen, mm-hmm. and then I read like I ran like one of the ones like the, the very first module book they released. Yeah. Um, the system itself is a die pool system where you're rolling your count, you're counting success symbols and failure symbols. Um, it utilizes uh, proprietary uh, dice from Fantasy Flight, so you can't use your normal D and D dice. Nope. Um, but there is a, they do have a uh, app, uh, a virtual app for you know that you can buy and get and get dice. Um, learning learning the symbols took about a single session. Yeah. Um, what once once you like once you kind of match up. Oh, this is what a success looks like. This is an advantage. What have you? Um, but one of the things I liked about it is um, you could possibly kind of. It was a yes and or yes but system, so you could, okay, I, I miss him, but I rolled with enough advantage I blew away his cover. Yeah. Um. So something interesting is always happening, and you get it was kind of them trying to approximate those, uh, frenetic combats of the film, so you could have like you know, Anakin and Anakin and Padme going through the droid facility. It's like okay, yeah, you're you're making acrobatic rolls every every turn, and it affects the battlefield this way. Uh, to kind of like go a little bit deeper into what Pat was talking about, um, so like all the dice would have success symbols and, and advantage symbols if for like the good dice, and yeah. then like you would also roll so many bad dice, so many complication dice. Yeah, and they would have failures and disadvantages. So when you di- when you make your dice pull and you roll with it, um, you can you can get things where it's like success with disadvantage. Or failure with advantage, and that's yeah. how like, those situations would come about. Um, or success with advantage, or fa- and failure with disadvantage. Yes. Um, like uh, so the 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 system itself, I thought for what they were trying to do was really well. Was, they did really well, but I think that Star Wars fans are kind of uh, unpleasable, <laughs> and we want everything. <laughs> So, uh, there, there, one of the early complaints about the game was like, okay, but how do I play, how do I, how do I play the old Republic in this? Well, it's not really built for that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really utilize any stuff, any setting dressing from the old Republic era. It uses mostly the stuff from the era that is printed in. Um, eventually they did come out with a beginner box for the, uh, Force Awakens era of stuff, but... It was just one, uh, you know, beginner box with some with some uh, NPCs and and one module. Um, it's not like the entire game was built for that era. Um, but like one of the one of the things that I think I think it does really well telling a you know a story about a small group within the margins of a larger setting. Um, at least in the beginning. Um. I, it, it, a campaign of this of this set of this system, I think works best over about a year of play uh, playtime, assume, assuming one session a week. So fifty after after fifty two sessions, um, people are going to your players are going to be so powerful 
that they're gonna the setting is gonna start hemorrhaging. Yeah, as we mentioned last week, Star Wars is a setting where if you got Vader running around and your characters are leveling up and getting more powerful, yeah. they should never be more powerful than him. And this game, you can be pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, um, this game doesn't doesn't utilize levels. You gain experience. Yeah. You gain you gain XP. There is a uh, there is a skill tree system. Uh, is where you can you can you kind of buy down the skill tree, but you can buy it in different orders, and you can buy up your stats. Yeah. Uh, to to you know to make your character more customizable. Um. So and like I said, is you you've got to be very particular as a GM of this is the type of game this is. Um. Whereas like, what like because a, a beginning Force and Destiny character will not feel like Luke in episode four. No. Uh, they, they, they will, they're going to feel a lot closer to like Ezra. Uh, in, <laughs> I was going to say Wedge. It, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, Wedge isn't force positive, um, but they're going to, they're, they're going to start with like just weird talents. Like, you know, that, that might hint to greater things later, but, you know your 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 beginning force push, you can like, you know, you know push or pull the remote from across the room. You can't throw three stormtroopers out of a building. Right. Um, you got to buy that up. Um, so so there's gonna be some confusion uh, if you're trying to start out and you're trying to play like a Jedi, like uh, even tr- even trying to play like Ahsoka. From the beginning of Clone Wars is not a beginning Force and Destiny character. No. Um, one thing that's actually really cool as well: all three games have a version of this, but your character has some type of complication. Yeah. Um, it's uh, like and in, in Edge of the Empire, it was like uh, there's there's debts, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think Age of Rebellion had a uh, motivation, um, where like you know the the everybody in the party had motivation as it went up. You started accomplishing more and being recognized more as heroes, and then Force and Destiny had your duality of light side and dark side. Yeah, so like the complications was like a really interesting thing because I played mostly uh, uh, as the Empire, and like having it be a thing like okay, well like the party all has this complication of they're super in debt to a hut. Yeah, like um, that makes that hut like a viable character who whenever they need. Whenever, whenever you as the GM needs them to do something or not do something, he steps in and and you know, Java calls favor. Yeah. yeah, and then just you got. And, he, and he's not he's not a villain. He's not someone they're trying to kill necessarily. Yeah, they're just he. he but it's it's something he's always you've always got a hook in him. And killing him would be would probably add a different complication because why would another hut like let you escape with a debt or something like that? You know yeah. that. Or uh, not want you dead for killing somebody just to save face. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jabba literally had absolutely, and this cannot be understated, had no reason to ever keep Han. At all. None. Like keep him as a decoration? Yeah, just to keep him. Yeah. Um, he had the the literal leader of the rebellion um, in his in his grasp. Um, like people who had resources to buy this thing out, no matter what Han's debt was, and because uh, he was General Solo by that point, yeah, like he was worth something and refused to sell. Like whatever they say about huts, huts are petty. 
<laughs> Especially Jabba. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, and, and so while I do like the system and I I, I enjoy it, I enjoy it very much. Uh, it's it's also the system that the Genesis RPG uses as well, um, which is kind of Fantasy Flight's. Hey, we own all these IPs. Let's make a system for them because uh, it's also what uh, Twilight Imperium uses and uh, uh, the I'm trying to think of the uh, t- the Terranoff, uh RPG also uses it. But speaking strictly of Star Wars, um, one of the things that I will say um, against the system. God damn, is it source book heavy? Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about the force die now. No, I wasn't. I wasn't talk about the force die. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have. I don't have any huge problems with the force die. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, at the beginning of the game, all of the players roll um, roll force die uh, for every session, and uh, and you get to add up how many like light side points you have and dark side points. They they do not counter each other. This is like the DM will have some and the players will have some. Yeah, and uh, the players can spend light side points to uh, alter die rolls or alter the uh, setting. Yeah, like in small ways the DM approves. Yeah. You know, like let's say like there's a guy who's locked in a room and you want to get him out of there. Uh, uh, you spend a force die. Now that room has a vent that's that's going into it, and uh, you toss a smoke grenade in there, something like that, and he he comes running out. Yeah, little things like that are typically like what you'd spend those dice on. But once that dice got spent, like once you spend that point, it, it becomes a it dark reverts. side. Yes. Same thing with the GM when they spend dark side points, it becomes a light side point. Yep. Um, I will say the the game works best when that when that econ- when that economy is active. Yes. When it's constantly flowing back and forth. You you don't you don't want to get all the light side points and just sit on them, um, yeah. Because then is that's that's a resource that you're not using. The same thing as the GM doesn't want to get all dark side points, just sit on them because that just kind of makes the game boring. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that like it, it allows the players to have to have a little bit more agency in the story. Yeah. Uh, the thing I was going to get with it source book being source book heavy. Um, money, money, and, money, yeah, money. We we had, we we had. I, I bought all these books. I just want to put out there. Uh, and role-playing books are not cheap. No. Especially for... Fantasy Flight is very proud of their stuff. Um, that being said, they're very well made. Um, the artwork is, is lovely in them. Um, but each of the core rule books for the game will, during the time when they were like coming out, would run you probably about 65 bucks. Yeah. Um, and that's just the core rule book. Um, so say uh, you want some more weapons. Well, that's going to be in this splat book, which is going to run you probably 35. Yeah. Um, each of the classes in each of the books had their own source books, which added in different talent trees. Uh, they also added in a setting books for like the Corellian sector for hut space that were priced the same as the class books. Um, then they came out with, after all of those books were come out, which is this, this, I'm talking like probably 20 something books. They came out with some more, they came out with, you know, adventure modules, um, which were themselves. I don't think they were full on 35, but they were about, they were upwards of 25. Yeah, because uh, they weren't they weren't super they weren't super big, but these are, everything I'm talking about here is a hardcover. 
which you know which does add to price. So it it is a very expensive game. It was a very expensive game to get into. Um, but that being said, if you're if you have disposable income, uh, go for it. But at this point, I would say wait because I'm sure another Star Wars role playing game is going to be coming down the pipes pretty soon. Um, it is a it is a very popular IP. I I just don't see Disney leaving that on the table. Yeah. And you know, and woe betide uh, the poor Star Wars writers, because uh, honestly, it got to the point where every time I would watch another episode of Clone Wars or Rebels, and I see some weird thing that the Empire has, like, oh god, somebody's got to stat that. Yep. <laughs> Because somebody's gonna want it, yeah. Or any like you know weird monster like you know there's like oh god there's somebody's got to put numbers to that and I I'm glad they get a, they get a paycheck but God they're gonna lose some sleep. Um. So do you do you have, so I, that, yeah. do you have another one you want to hit? Yeah. Um. So uh, this is a dead book from a dead company, but they do exist out there. Uh, I think you can still technically get them printed. Um, but without, without looking at the at the bookshelf that he's pulling from, I'm gonna guess you're you're talking about Tefra. I'm definitely not talking about Tefra. Yeah. Uh, so way back in the day, um, and even honestly, still to this day, I would do this if I found them at conventions. But man, like I would say, like in the uh, late aughts, early uh, early teen uh, early teens, like it was hot to find. Uh, because uh, it was like pre-fifth edition, like uh, and fourth edition not doing very well. Pathfinder kind of being the th- the third company coming the, in, and yeah. The, up the, the business. The indie scene was big during this this era. Yeah, and so you would go to cons and you would always find somebody who's like made their own new system that they're hoping to like fill a void. And um, so uh, every time I went to any of the uh, Texas-based cons. Uh, I would rump into the Tefra people. Uh, I think their company their company was called Cracked Monocle, and um, and the game itself was called Tefra. Um, uh, they've since uh, sold themselves to a bigger company, and uh, from time to time I see updates from them. I, I think that technically under their new ma- management they still do exist, and like I said, I believe they do these things like print on demand. Um, but uh, they did a Kickstarter for Tefra, and uh, I backed it, and uh, and so I know that there are books out there in the wilderness. I ran a few Tefra games, um, uh, uh, pretty long running ones. But the thing about Tefra is that makes it different from everything else is uh, Tefra is a purely steampunk uh, RPG. Uh, it that is one hundred percent its aesthetic, which once well, again ste- uh, steampunk fantasy, I, was, I would I would say yeah. Which uh, once again, if you're uh, if you're familiar with the time period I'm talking about, you can see why like somebody would be making something like that. Yeah, uh, steampunk was huge at that time, and uh, and Tefra was just genuinely very delightful. Uh, uh, everything that you use uh, is based off of D12s. Yep. The D twelve based system. My favorite dice. I play a lot of barbarians, <laughs> um, which it is a very satisfying dice. And but also like twelve is a recurring thing throughout the entire system. Like that's how your stats are done. It's how uh, your skills are done. 
like uh, Star Wars, it's an e- it's an XP based system. So like you would get experience points and you would use those to uh, to buy abilities, and that would tear you up. So it, it did have something of a level system going for it, but it was more like once you've spent so much experience, you've now reached a new tier. Yeah, um, the original Dark Heresy system had a had a similar mechanic. Yeah, where you you bought so much XP and then that tiered you to buy stuff at a higher higher level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm just talking about. Um, and so um, the only thing that would mostly come from that is uh, is the game was action point based. Uh, so like uh, tier one character, like uh, like up like until you get to I think tier four, you have like three action points you can spend, um, and then like everything you could do would cost so many action points. Um, right. Pathfinder ended up kind of a, uh, for second edition kind of adopted something similar. Yes. Um, but you could ke- you could keep stacking more and more. I think like by, by the time you're like the max level, you'd have like six I think action points, um, and. Uh, and you could use them for all t- sorts of like wacky different things. Um, uh, considering like this was like my first like real hard to getting into a game that was not a D and D or Pathfinder. Uh, the game has a lot. Like, I have a lot of personal love for it. Um, if you do like steampunk, like I've played uh, some other systems as well. Uh, even, hell, even the game I'm currently running on, on uh, for Thursdays, I, I think I've described it here on the podcast before, uh, draws a lot from, from like steampunk ideas, like uh, Aether and Aether Magics, something like that, which is usually something you would see a lot in uh, steampunk, um, plays a huge role in that game, and um, then like airships and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are a few modules that, that that came out for it. Most of those you can, you can still buy on Facebook. They're like literally three dollars. <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, there's not a, a ton to say about it. Cause honestly, like it pulls from a lot of things that you've seen done before. Right. Like the, the biggest, most unique thing about it was that, uh, was D was the D 12 system. Um, it, it did use an exploding system for successes. Right. So like every time you rolled a, a 12 on your D 12 for whatever your skill check is, it explodes and you get to roll again. And that could lead to literally absolutely insane results. Oh, I love I, lo- I love exploding dice. Yeah. Um I one of one of one of my one of my later on systems that I'll get to has exploding dice and I I, I, I love it cuz you cuz you go from killing something to fucking killing something. Yeah. Um cuz like like a critical hit and like a critical success or critical hit in D&D is just like you did the thing really well. Um but like uh, something like in like Tefra, where like the world is so abundantly magical, you didn't just do the thing well. It's like um, it's like you're part of the magic of this world and has allowed you to do something truly extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it's 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 probably the most if you if you weren't if you were trying to play a campaign of like with the a similar. Tone to like Girl Genius, uh, the the comic. I would I would recommend Tefra. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 my my little spiel on Tefra. Okay. Um, I don't go too hard in the paint for it, just because once again I also don't know how available it would be for anybody else to get. Fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, see, mine uh, that I'm going to bring up. Uh, I'm going to jump out of the fantasy uh, genre just for a minute. 
Um, don't worry. Uh, I'm going to take you to Mordor. I'll bring you right back to the Shire. Um, and I'm going to talk about um, my attempt, my experience with the superhero genre of RPGs. Um, We're talking some Mutants and Masterminds? Yep. My, my first uh, foray into this was the Mutants and Masterminds uh, superhero RPG. Um, specifically, Mutants and Masterminds 3rd Edition. Yeah, that's what I played too. Um, first and 2nd Edition were a lot more closely related to D&D. Um, all, all three of them uh, are published under the OGL. Uh, they use they utilize D20 in a lot of the... Um, a lot of the uh, examples for like what high numbers mean are more or less carried over into into the Mutants and Masterminds. OGL means open game license for anybody who doesn't know. Sorry, uh, yeah, I, I didn't explain that. Um, yeah. To explain what the open game license is, uh, find a lawyer and they'll tell you. Uh, it is both the best and worst thing to ever happen in role playing games. That uh, that's hard to argue. Mm-hmm. We can do a whole we can do a whole thing on OGLs, but we're not <laughs> going to today. Yeah. Um, See, uh, so you know, sometimes it works great. Sometimes you, sometimes you make your biggest competitor. Um, <laughs> but in Mutant Masterminds Third Edition, it is an entirely you get a bunch of points, put them wherever you want to make your superhero. Um, and for the game itself, you can totally you can totally play based just off of the uh, Hero's Handbook, which is like the the core rule book. Um, there is a game master guide that uh, has basically a bunch of like tips and tricks for running different flavors of the superhero genre. So playing like Golden Age, Silver Age, um, horror, you know, what have you, uh, managing teams. Um, like uh, the, it does have its own. It does have two um, full uh, full length campaign. Uh, published campaigns. Um, the first one being Emerald City Knights, which takes place in a in the titular Emerald City, uh, which is like Seattle with the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> and basically, a truck explodes in the center of town, and it was filled with uh, nanites. Um, Boom, baby gas. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, you know, uh, basically a combination of the Big Bang from uh, Static Shock mixed with the uh, Nanite uh, you know, surge from uh, Generator X. Um, where everybody, you got infused with Nanites and some people got superpowers. Most people were real dicks about it. <laughs> um, in the campaign, you play as... You know, an, an emergent group of superheroes, and you kind of establish yourselves through the through the campaigns. Um, like, uh, it's really fun. It it works. It does what it needs to. It, it probably works best in a abbreviated format. Like, I, I would say, if you're running a music masterminds game, get to the point quick. Uh, don't you know? You, you want to get on the spaceship, you know, fighting the crazy space monsters. You don't want to spend too long in the base before then. Right. Um, just because m- most RPGs, your character sheet, 90% of your character sheet is about combat. Right. Um, and it's very difficult to make uh, shooting McCann's man. Um, 
you know, do, do his hand shoot thing or does he shoot hands? Um, but you want to get, you want to start figuring that out more than, more than you want to play like, you know, his complicated home situation. Um, and it, the game does the super part very well. Um, you buy your powers through an, an effect system, which, and by what I mean by effect, like say you want a laser, you would buy a ranged damage effect and then you can buy trappings to make it so, oh, it's, uh, that's a fireball or that's a wind blast or what have you. Yeah. Um, the game uses like hero points to allow you to do stunts, which are basically narrative ways to apply your power, like using your electricity powers to jumpstart an engine. Um, and they use a similar uh, currency, uh, you know, point-based system that a lot of RPGs use, kind of like ever since Fate, but where you kind of spend it to modify your roles, modify the scenes around you. Uh, not unlike the force, the force points in, in uh, Star Wars. Um, the system itself is, is very uh, is very customizable by default. It puts you at like a kind of four color, you know, Teen Titans level of power. Yeah, but you can totally adjust the power level to play like Watchmen, uh, you know, you know, level people, or you know. Dial it or dial it down even further, and play like you know fa- uh, fantasy heroes. Um, like I've I've totally heard of people that run that run a fantasy game in Mutant Masterminds. Yeah, I have too. Um, and one of the things that is kind of cool about it is you can totally play you know your Doctor Strange wizard and make your cool custom spells. Um, you can make, you know, the winds of Watum and whatever the hell they, that, that actually does. You can, you can make your own spin on it. Uh, for, for an example, uh, of just like a really weird one. Um, I, uh, Ryan ran a game for, uh, for my, for my apartment people when I lived in, in, um, in Dallas. Yeah. And, um, and my character was Buddy Christ, uh, who his power was like, basically calming people down like he was everybody's best friend Mm -hmm. but he was also like untouchable because like why would you punch a friend yeah uh so like uh he had like immortality and uh and which was always played for like luck like uh, i had like the lowest level of it which is like he would appear like a week or two later yeah um with some type of like crazy coincidence of like that's where he's been now and um and uh, all of my attacks, because he didn't attack anybody, because that would be aggressive. Uh, all of his attacks were things like um, burst water pipe and like debris falling. So it was like uh, when people were attacking him, uh, the I environment would, was attacking. Them. He would he would like his powers would activate and their, their luck powers essentially. And so it'd be like they they punch like directly in front of him, and a pipe bursts like like uh, curls around their fist and sprays them with water, like, um, and all of that was was fairly like easy to navigate. Uh, my uh, my friend uh, Goblin, she was playing um, a essentially the cartoon um, mascot on a pizza box, the Noid. Yeah, essentially the Noid, yes. 
Okay. Uh, she was like a cartoon character that had come to life. And uh, this is another one of those where like I feel that you must know your group. This is this get this game very much benefits from a session zero. Yes, like we had planned our characters like weeks in advance. Like we we had been like discussing and discussing and discussing. Yeah, because the because the superhero genre is about as varied as the people that can hear me say superhero genre. Yeah, like I mean, my character was about stopping crime. But he was just like, "Come on, guys, you ain't got, you ain't got to be." Well, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would hate to show up with Frank Castle, and uh, you pull out Buddy Christ. <laughs> yeah, no, for real, yeah. I, just, I get that. Um, one, 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 uh, our other roommate, uh, Joel, uh, he was playing. I think he was called the Blue Bomber or something like that. Um, or the Blue Bruiser. Yeah, but he was, he was like actively committing a crime. When the game started, because he was like a he was like a thug, yeah, like a, just a dumb thug that like he ended up getting like dumb thug powers, um, and uh, what exactly is a dumb thug power? Oh, just like super strength and durability. Okay, just, okay. just hard hitting, like you know, just just a goon, mm-hmm. just a goon to goon on people, uh, and uh, but like. You know, with great power came great responsibility, and he was like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't be punching all these innocent people." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still gonna punch people. <laughs> yeah, just not innocent people. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, but, I'm, uh, but that's like a very <laughs> diverse group of like powers that you can already see kind of on display there. Oh yeah, like the the campaign that I ran it was uh, one guy. He was like the. He was like he was a tr- he was a traditional flying brick, but he was styled after a uh, a post wor- a post worker. Uh-huh. So he was he was the mailman. Like his weapon was like a a mailbox that he just tore out of the ground. <laughs> uh, then we had like you know one guy who, for some reason, like the, this was this was after a fairly uh, infamous story at our gaming group. Um, it's, it's the reason that people don't run time travel stories with me. Um, but sure enough, anytime I, anytime I, uh, sit down and run music mastermind, somebody at the table wants to run, wants to make somebody with time powers, uh, specifically the ability to stop time, but he was their pseudo speedster. And then one guy who just, you know, played a werewolf. Right. Yeah. Just a, just a, a, a wolf man. <laughs> and, you know, trying to get them in any way to see, you know, to act in, in, uh, together was like, you know, kind of like hurting cats. Yeah. Or uh, hurting wolfmen. Yeah. But, it, but it was still fun. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, they, either way, they, they all, they all three still fought ninjas. <laughs> um, let's see, uh, try, oh, and one other thing, like, cause it's, uh, I, we 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 kind of touched upon this with access, with talks about uh, accessibility. Is like I understand that you know sitting someone down and say, "All right, make whatever superhero you want," is the worst thing you could tell somebody. Yes. <laughs> um, the game does come with they call it they they call them power profiles, but they are very uh, inexpensive uh, PDFs that you can get through Drive Through RPG. They also publish them all together as a hardcover. Um, yeah, you know, this it's not not overly expensive, but they come with essentially pre-made powers based on a theme. 
So like say you're like, oh, I just want I want fire powers, but I don't necessarily know what type of fire powers I want. Um, they give you this they give you this pre the pre um, built powers packages of like okay, here's three points. This gives you a fire blast. This gives you an explosion. This gives you the ability to make fire constructs. Yeah, you know, so so on and so forth. All right, and it has that for a lot of different like you know strength powers. Like you know, I know it's it sounds fairly basic, but there's a lot of cool strength feats from uh, comics and movies that we see done. That you know, if you don't know what you're doing in the system, you might be difficult to build. Like the Hulk's thunderclap. Oh, that's literally the first thing I thought of. Yeah. It's like that's a ranged attack that hits in a cone, but you know it's not a sonic attack. He's just clapping his hands, um, or you know the 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 AOE you know ground pound, you know and a lot and a lot of other stuff, or just the ability to you know jump really fucking far. <laughs> you know you buy you you buy that down and it makes it affordable, and you get that character that theme that you have themed in your head. Because like you know on the opposite side of that. Superman also has super strength. Doesn't he does have like a wind clap that he'll do from time to time, but he doesn't do like a ground pound that like yeah. has to be OA. That is not a thing that, that Superman does. Yeah, ever. Um, he ain't destroying the concrete. <laughs> he does not wrap a car around his fist and use it as a boxing, boxing glove. Um, which is just still one of the one of the fucking coolest Hulk fights I've ever seen. Uh, see, where was it? Oh yeah, power profiles. Um. So that that'll that'll help a lot in building the in building the character, uh, and if you're and if you need some inspiration, uh, Music Masterman's Third Edition is also the uh, the engine they use for the DC Adventures role playing game. Um, so like, if you want to go, okay, about how strong is this person? Um, a a power level 10, 150 point character. Is about this is built to the same standards as like Red Arrow, um, you know, Green Arrow sidekick or Zatanna, you know. So think a probably a founding Teen Titan. You're not too far off. Yeah. You know, and then it gives an examples like okay, you scale it up. This is how you hit Superman. This is how you hit Wonder Woman. This is how you hit Dark Side. Um, okay, so that's that's me, Smash Minds. Um, I'm going to switch it up. Instead of going from that steampunk, I'm going to go cyberpunk and uh, talk about... Uh, cyberpunk. I'm not going to... I've never played cyberpunk. Yeah, I, I own the book. I have... I've, I've, I think I've read maybe two pages. Uh, Shadowrun. Shadowrun 4th Edition, because that's what I had, had experience with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, they're on... Probably an edition or two of them. I've played... I've played five. I, I'm... I don't know if sixth edition is out yet. It might be. Uh, but yeah, I played fourth edition uh, Shadowrun. I played that for a while. Um, uh, once again, uh, combining like uh, like how some of these systems have worked, it's a dice pool system. Uh, uses these sixes. Yeah. Um, and it's an experience buy system. You don't you don't have levels. You know, entirely entirely point buy. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, but Shadowrun, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, takes place essentially in our world, uh, but the timeline diverged in... 2020. 2020? No, not 20. Uh, the Mayan calendar. 20, uh, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
when the Mayans uh, said the apocalypse would happen, instead we got uh, orcs. Mm-hmm. And um, and dragons for president and stuff like that. Um, one one drag. We only had one dragon president. That's whatever. Racist. Uh, <laughs> he was president for an hour. And did he did did he need any longer than that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Duncanson's will is very complicated. <laughs> yes. I, I read it once, and my eyes crossed. Uh. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a wacky system where it introduces a lot of, like, like honestly, you would think it's just, like, a, a modern fantasy system. Um, but they decide to go even beyond that and go full cyberpunk. So, you know, you have your cybernetics, you have uh, uh, your very 80s aesthetic, even though technically they passed, uh, they were already out of the 80s by several decades when the, when the timelines like diverged. Yeah, but I th- the game was made. But the game was made in the 80s. Yeah. So they kept the aesthetic. So it it, it has a very interesting uh it's it's gone through a, some very interesting uh setting dressing especially in like the art and a lot of the themes. Like Mohawks are still prevalent, but they're a lot more fluorescent now. Yeah. Um like if you played Cyberpunk like um they Cyberpunk and, and Shadowrun are not terribly dissimilar. Yeah, um, just one just, has magic, the other has like vagrant AIs. Yeah, um, and uh, and if you've ever had your uh, chance to get your hands on them, the uh, computer Shadowrun games, um, the ones for PC, are excellent. Yeah, uh, Shadow, Shadowrun Returns, uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong, and Shadowrun Berlin. Yeah, like uh, are all spectacular. Yeah, real fun games. Um, uh, I think I'm, we might have even mentioned this like last week about how like bunker bunnies, people like hackers, that can be a big pain in this system. Um, so I, we we already touched upon that before, but so I'm just going to kind of stick to more of some of the positive stuff here. Um, like what's really cool is is that the game tells you that there's all these types of like uh, specialties that 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 runners can have, which is like being the face or something like that. The face, the street samurai, uh, the driver. The hacker, uh, yeah. the, I think it's called a Decker in Shadowrun. Yeah, uh, I think it, yeah, it is called a Decker now. Um, but like, um, but when you start your character, you're not making those things. Those things are the role you feel by the time you finish your character creation, and you go, okay, what what, did what I am make? I good at? <laughs> yeah, what did I just make, and what's what's good at? Um, I made a troll that's really good at pottery. All right, well, how's he gonna help on a heist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so part of the thing about Shadowrun is it's all corporate espionage. Uh, corporate espionage. Um, like that's pretty much the big thing of it. Yeah, you are you are deniable assets for you know privately contracted by mega corporations. Yes, uh, PMCs run the world essentially, um, and uh, Every, everything that we were fighting against in Metal Gear Solid happened. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, big big boss would be so proud. But, uh, but, uh, my, my biggest problem with, uh, with Shadowrun is I really like the setting, but I've had to run every game I've ever played of it. And oh, I, I have, I feel the same way about Beans and Masterminds. Is, and I, well, here's where we probably diverge. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of corporate espionage stories in me. Right. Like, I love crime films. They're some of my favorite genres, you know, but between growing up with, like, um, uh, Robert Rodriguez, 
his like mariachi like his uh like his has yeah his western stuff not necessarily like you know spy kids and like Quentin so, like, Tarantino yeah, you know, and once upon a time in Mexico and all that yeah yeah um growing up with like that like I have a, a big love of like crime thrillers guy Richie stuff um but I don't have a corporate espionage story in me yeah like, at all so like the camp- oh uh, that, that we uh my group we ran into a similar problem uh with with Shadowrun because like based on on rules is written. Shadowrunners are dicks. Yeah, it's like you I, are a villain essentially. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel sorry when bad stuff happens to them because they're kind of shitholes. Yeah, um, like by by necessity, like you're all the Han Solo type. If Han Solo wasn't secretly redeemable, yeah. So what you're trying to survive. Yeah. So what what we what what our group wound up doing is we just alternate we altered altered the, the character concept and we just made like spies or 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 uh or cops you know so we it, it wound up being more ghost in the shell than uh Johnny Demon. Hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um but yeah, like uh, as far as like because like the the thing about a corporate espionage uh, story is for a good one it has to have a twist. It can't just be um my rival has a thing that I want go in there and get it. Yeah, if that's all it is, that's fine, I guess. Because they've, they've all you, you've also they've also always got to have the twist of, oh, the people we're working for are also bastards. Yes, um, like that's what makes a good Shadowrun story. It's what makes a good crime story. Um, you know, uh, either like your uh, Booker who like got you the job or something. There there have to be betrayals inside the stories, even for just w- one time jobs. And, uh, and I, I very found quickly that like, that's not how I tell stories. I, yeah. I just don't, I don't write stories like, case, like that. Case in point, uh, if, if you need a video game example, Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> how does, how many portrayals happen in that first mission in the, in the opening mission with Jackie? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like, you, 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 the, by the time it's all said and done, your fixture shoots you in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like that's and that's how it should be. That's great. That that's wonderful, um, but like it also like Shadowrun. Be, like it's funny because it's not considered a dark system, but like there's so much like I think the cyber I think the cyberpunk genre by in and of itself is kind of kind of dark. Yeah, kind of it, it lends itself to to a more nihilistic storytelling. Yeah, um, which you know I would be fine with if I was playing in it, but uh, like. Um, one of my problems also is like there's so much like established lore in uh, Cyberpunk that when I'm coming around I'm like oh I want to use like these companies that have big names and then I'm like I don't know enough about them to like to know like what their values actually would be right stuff like that so it's one of those things like my my suggestion would always be like make up your own smaller companies and like hey these startups are are, are pulling some shit because that also makes a little sense too um, and uh, uh, my big twist was actually that. Um, uh, uh, they were given like this uh, cybernetic dog that was going with them, and uh, as it turned out, um, they were uh, they were being recorded for a season of a runner reality show. <laughs> uh, so like they've been like pulling all of these jobs and stuff like that, um, but like because like when they signed on, they had signed like they had signed away their likenesses and stuff like that and, as part of the contract, and nobody caught it. Um, like when they were given this dog to kind of like, 
I forgot like what it's the purpose they were told it was for, but yeah, it was like recording all the information and had like little cameras all over it, and uh, and like it would like censor buildings and stuff like that, and if it heard company names, it would censor that like that. So, um, uh, uh, but yeah, so like they they were becoming like incidentally famous without knowing it, Uh-oh. Uh, and like uh, you know then like they would be sent to like megacorps who would be like. Like bet on like if they could like uh, like if they could complete a job and then they could like um, they could weigh the like bet by like uh, if the party was doing too good like somebody like tips the scale a little bit by like they they put some credits in and all of a sudden uh, now a new series of like cops come in or something like that like, you know, like they they basically would pay for complications in the show to make it more exciting for them. Um, like which was a fun story. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it's like kind of like a uh, Running Man. Yeah. Mixed with, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, God damn it. The bow chick. Uh, the hunger, the hunger James. Yeah. Hungry, hunger James. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that like, once I, once I ran that campaign, which, which, which did go on for quite a while, uh, the cantors actually ended up because they felt, because they were so betrayed, uh, and they already like, like to your point, weren't like, they didn't want to be assholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they thought the jobs they were taking were at least like against people who were worse than anybody else. Uh, they decided to use their newfound fame and spun it into um, becoming a troll rock metal band. See, that's that's great. Like, so that's, I, I, that's kind of how that. the epilogue went. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like we like we we quick we quickly ran into a rut where like uh, our group. We start. We started and stopped about four to five different campaigns that wound up running maybe a session or two, because our first first mission do whatever job the GM had ready. Second mission kill the people that hired us for the first job. Right, and that kept happening um, until one of us just kind of floated the idea: Why don't we just play cops and just fight criminals that are doing this shit? Or uh, why don't we just be like super spies? I do um, like that so much. Like you know, we're you know at the very at the very least we can say we're doing it for queen and country. Um, see, so moving on to mine, I got uh one uh, I got I got one other uh, super super game that I want to talk about. Um, I've I've run I've run a campaign of I've run a uh a few games of this. I haven't run a full campaign of it. Uh, just because the group kind of dissolved due to conflicting work schedules, and that is uh, Mass: A New Generation from uh, Magpie Games. I don't think I've ever talked to you about nope. this. I don't know anything about it. Um, it is a game uh, about playing a group of teenage superheroes in a world with an already established superhero society. Um, it is. It utilizes the powered by the apocalypse system. Um, popularized by Apocalypse World, um, it also that also got tweaked into Dungeon World. Essentially, you roll two d six, add in some type of modifier on your character, uh, and uh, based on what you roll, basically a one through six is a failure, um, seven to nine is a partial success, and a ten plus is a you know a boundless success. Basically, basically where there, there's no condition, you absolutely got what you wanted. Right. Um, uh, the game itself, you each 
player picks a playbook, which is essentially the essentially your class, um, which is like you know the 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 bowl where your it kind of tells you what narrative hooks you're going to be playing into. Um, the bull would be like your, so, so many, so many of these are, are very easily re- related to like characters from young justice. So I'm just going to yeah. lean into that. Um, the bull would be like the Superboy. Right. You are, you, your powers wise, you're very direct. Um, but role playing wise, you are keyed in, you are keyed into your rival and your love interests and that, and, and factoring between those two is most, is most where your hook's going to be. Uh, the uh, protege, you are the Robin. You, yeah, you 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 are a uh, so you are a sidekick of an already established hero or the legacy. You are the latest in a line of superheroes. Um, like uh, I'm trying I'm trying to <laughs> like uh, Kid Flash would would be would be a very good example of a legacy. Okay. Um. So, and so playing through the playbooks, you have these various moves that you can do. Pretty much everything in the game you're going to do is going to be some type of move. You roll on it, you get your result, and based on that, on how that happens, you it flavors the scene, you role play out the scene. So you, you establish a scene, declare your action, make your move, going forward, the game kind of has that cycle to it. Um, and it, like I relate it to, to uh, Young Justice, so much, especially that first season of Young Justice, because it the show plays out like a mass game would ideally go. Oh, does it? Like, yeah, it 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 has all of those like character beats are basically built into the into the sheets so where you can go. Okay, this is where this person made this move. This person leveled up here, <laughs> like you know the, this, and the 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 game works so it. it it's, it fits so one to one that I have trouble talking about one without the other. Right. But like, also, if you were to try and make like a you know an X Men game, I would highly suggest running it in mass. Um, because you're it works well when you're dealing with because you're playing teenagers, uh, you're dealing with uh, your identity and how you see yourself and how you want others to see you. Um, and your stats on the game aren't. Uh, aren't cemented because teenagers don't know who the fuck they are. Right. Um, so talking to someone who has influence over you can adjust your stats. So you might be... Hold on. I'm not doing anything. I'm just okay. standing up. Sorry? I'm <laughs> just stretching. Okay. Like, Jared, Jared was, making, was making weird moves. I didn't know if he saw something that I needed to be concerned about. But never no. mind. Never mind. We are just getting old, and we've been sitting here for a little while. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm also in a chair I don't normally sit in, and it turned out to be more uncomfortable than I thought. Yeah. Um. But what I was saying, the influence system. Um. Pretty much any time you're talking to an adult, because an adult is going to have influence over you. <laughs> um. You can accept or reject their influence, what they're saying, and if you accept it, they get to adjust your labels. Your labels are your stats. Yeah. Or you can reject it, in which case you can either, if you succeed or fail on it, if you fail on it, oh, their words hit you harder than, than there is a bit too much truth in that. Um, or you reject what they say, you don't adjust it, but you have to then role play out 
how you're rejecting what they say. Okay. So it's like, okay, your your mentor says, hey, you got to be more smart about this stuff. Uh, you can't you can't just you can't post you can't post for the camera when you punch a nun. I don't give a damn if she if she was mind controlled. Um, you can go, hey, screw you, old man. We do it the way we want to, or I'll try not to do that in front of the cameras again. Right. Obviously, I'm playing this hyperbolically for the ease of conversation. Um, but like, it's this is a game that I think does the supers aspect as well as it does the personality aspect because a superhero game if you want it if and when done best i think reads like a superhero comic which if you don't know if you've never read a super comic is full of fucking melodrama oh yeah um, i mean they're soaps for boys yeah like they they have the you know mysterious twin brothers they have um, and uh, people fighting over inheritance. The amnesia. They ha- yeah, they have the amnesia. They have the uh, corporations going to knock down the soda uh, stand. God, how old am I? <laughs> but not if we can get... Uh, they, we can save the community center if we just win this race. Yeah. You know, as well as, you know, fucking time-traveling aliens who, you know need to be taught how to love <laughs> and that and that destroys their empire um but yeah it's, it's one of those like I've 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 had yet I've never got a chance to play it I've run it before and I and so I know it it works um but it's one of those where if you buy it and get into it you're probably going to be the person running it <laughs> um so just keep in mind it is Probably one of the harder sells, especially if you've got a group that mostly just plays established RPGs like D and D. Yeah, because it is it is of the ones we've talked about so far, it is the least D and D esque. Um, because like it is so entirely, uh, you know, based on the flow of your role playing. Um. So what? Do you have? Do you have? Do you have another one, Jared? I do. I'm gonna talk about this one very, very briefly. Uh, I don't have a because it's been like probably over ten years since I played it, and it wasn't even fully out yet. But it was a system that I remember enjoying a lot. But I don't know if I'll ever get back into it. But I just wanted to kind of pull it up anyway. Dragon Age. Dragon Age. Yeah. Actually, um, actually, just actually just uh, two week. I think two weeks ago, bought the um, the Fantasy Age. Uh, core rule book which is which is just the dragon age system oh okay that's to say I, I like the system in it um uh the dragon age uh if you didn't know it's it's uh it's literally the 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 system made for the video games dragon age origins dragon age 2 dragon age Inquisition, um set in the world of thetis which is uh which is what they called it but for anyone who doesn't know it literally means the dragon age system uh setting setting the Dragon Age setting. Um, I love um, that. Actually, s- it's the Dragon Age setting. <laughs> uh, I love that so much. Um, but, um, so, uh, what what I like about the system is, like, it's one of those things where when you start the game, um, very much, like, when you build your characters, they are the product of what they've 
how they were brought up. Like, um, whatever your uh, species and your upbringing and all of that is, all of that kind of comes to inform, like, what your character mostly is. And then you have some influence over, like, th- like little things for your stats. But the, the big thing about the system is is it's triple, uh, triple six, like, die rolls. Um, where uh, you actually will have, like, a little card with you, unless you just memorize them, uh, where your dice actually determine, like, different things that you are doing. So, like, when you make skill checks or attacks or stuff like that, like, uh, you, you roll 3d6, and then depending on what those numbers are, uh, uh, will depend on, like, how your successes work in very, very strange and interesting ways. It is not just, like, success or failure or or anything else. Like, it can be, like... Uh, success with some type of added benefit, like that you would have, like off on the side, or, like a list of things that you could do. You know, like um, like if if you if you're like a, a sword fighter and you you roll in a certain way where it's like okay, you hit them, but you've also uh, get to add such and such a bonus to it, and you you can check like your list of like what bonuses you can do. You can be like, oh, I disarmed the person too. Yeah. Um. Uh. I love the game. Um, Dragon Age, like it came out like right after Origins and Awakening, uh, but not quite like the first one came out like right, two hadn't come out yet. Um, uh, I was obsessed with the with Thetis. Like I really liked that world a lot, um, especially the more I read like beyond the borders of Ferelden, like how much was was filled out. But um, and I even have the uh, the. Uh, the world of Thetis books, like the encyclopedia books. Um, but, like, Dragon Age 2, um, as much as I love it, Kirkwall had so much going on with, like, things to kind of establish why things were happening in Kirkwall, like, while they were having, which would be a whole other discussion about how Kirk- Kirkwall is tainted. And- Kirkwall is, uh, is probably the, my, uh, my example I'll always go to of, uh, Doing too much, yeah, in a, in a game like because as a as the because everything that happened in Kirkwall was Hawk's fault. Um, that definitely got a point where I was like, let's just burn this thing to the ground and leave. I was like, I I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like especially if if you like if you are like a lore master and you like go and read the fluff or it's yeah. like uh the reason that that mages like fall here which. A lot of this, is, I'm going to get into some Dragon Age terminology. Either follow me or don't, but, uh, but I'll be quick, I promise. Uh, but it's like, oh, the reason why mages will fall to demons and stuff like that is because Kirkwall naturally has this this uh, this thin fade here of the uh, thin, thin veil bail. for the fade, and it's just like, oh, well, that will that will automatically cause blah blah blah, and the the worst the worst situation is almost always guaranteed. Which, and, if you don't know that. If you didn't read that and you're just playing Dragon Age Two, you really get the point of what the fuck. <laughs> like, why is literally no one okay ever? Like, why is like the people who fight the hardest and the longest all still just giving in and being like the worst versions of themselves? And it's like, like I didn't know that when I played the game. I found out about it afterwards when I was like reading through codexes, and then I was like, oh, which really just feels like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um. That should have been explained somewhere. Um, you have a whole bunch of cutscenes where Varric's like uh, talking to Cassandra about stuff. He could have explained that like 
well, we didn't know like what like you know what was in the foundation of Kirkwall because like it has a pretty dark backstory when you're first introduced to it. But so having somebody actively just say like it's on an ancient Indian burial ground, yeah, <laughs> like wouldn't have been too much of a stretch by the end of the game and help at least sell some of the, like the absolute batshit ha- things that happened like in the last um, hour or two where everything just goes completely fucking pear shaped. Um, that being said, um, I didn't know they had a book that was just that system. Um, I'd actually be interested in running a game that was in that system, just because it was uh, probably like at least for a few sessions. Oh, I got I got the system and the bestiary. So yeah, like because it, it's interested, I'll loan it to you. Yeah, it's 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 a genuinely interesting system. Um, uh, if you like Dragon Age, like they they released it as three separate like box sets, kind of like get you through the levels. My problem was I played through the first like I made up an adventure for the first box. And, uh, but it only takes you to like to level five. And so, uh, and then I had to wait like a year and something for the second box to come out. And then that was like two years to the third box. Yeah. And then it was like another two or three years before like the ultimate, like uh guidebook came out. Like I couldn't keep an interest in a game like that going. Um, I had like my, I liked the story that I wrote. I, I did a really, I, I was pretty proud of my, my players had a lot of fun with it but when i couldn't reward them with leveling up any longer when it was just like oh we'll be stagnant until we actually know what how we can level up beyond this and what abilities we can get like that just kind of kills your game yeah uh one one <laughs> uh one little and this is a this is completely a nitpick just kind, kind of funny uh thing that that my group found with the dragon age uh uh game the prices for the items in the in the in the game, it, normally a completely banal turn your brain off thing for me, but when we realized that uh, you know chests and locks are stupidly expensive in the game, to where it got to the point where we would go through dungeons, find a chest, dump the gold out of the chest, and just take the chest. <laughs> Hey, you, you go where the money is. Sometimes yeah. the money isn't where the money is. <laughs> um, I got, I got, I got, I got, uh, I got one more. Honestly, I got, I got plenty more, but I, we're, we're, I'm not trying to, ha- I'm not trying to be here for three hours. Right. Um, the one that I will uh, follow up with is, and is the. Hey, we'll, we'll bring Bryce on do a sequel. Let him have a nice, easy episode. Yeah, and this is this one that kind of sparked my interest in a. In a franchise that carries on to this day purely through the through the role playing games, um, and that is going to be the uh, Death Watch RPG. Um, That's fair. I thought about bringing up those. Yeah, um, the uh, Death Watch RPG at the time when I got into it, it was put out by Fancy Flight. There's only so many dead systems I can keep bringing up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the original 40k, well, the first 40k RPG of its like that I know of is the Dark Heresy first edition RPG put out by Black Industries, later re-put out by Fancy Flight. Um, and then also in its lineage is the um, Rogue only, Trader. The Only War RPG, Rogue Trader, and the Black Crusade RPG. Yep. Each uh, showcasing different aspects of the 40K universe. But spe- I'm going to specifically talk about Death Watch because it's the one, it was the first one that I played. Um, like it was probably the first, it was the first sci-fi, well, 
it was the first sci-fi RPG I had played outside of Star Wars. Um, like, and it was like, and it was completely unlike Star Wars. It was oh, completely yeah. unlike anything I had played up until then. Um, like, uh, and, you know, playing a, playing this, you know, this space marine, this power armored warrior who is already, you know, super elite. And then on the death watch, which is even more so, and you're fighting these, you know, overwhelming number of aliens. You want to talk about minion uh, mechanics? It had mechanics for taking on armies by yourself. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, because one space marine versus one soldier is so ludicrously one-sided that it's not worth mentioning. Um, so the, well, so when you, you have Daka, things change a little bit. Yeah, you know, Doc, Doc is immediately the great equalizer of all things. Um, but, like... Uh, you know, it's, it is a percentile system in terms of uh, dice pan. You want to roll low on a D100. Um, you want to roll real low. <laughs> you want, you want to, the lower the better. Uh, the best roll is, a, is an odd one. <laughs> um, because for every 10 you roll below your target number, uh, you're either doing more damage or you succeed by a greater degree. Um, like... Uh, so the 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 game itself, you play as um, it gets it gets around everyone having a different favorite type of space marine by the death watch the death watch itself pulling from all different chapters, um, so everyone can kind of play their favorite thing. Yeah. Um, like and so it was that was my first experience with the with the forty k franchise. Uh, before it was just the weird uh, minis game that people would play in the comic book shop, the guys who wore suspenders and didn't bathe. <laughs> um, but, like like I said, it sparked my interest in the franchise, and now I'm, I, c- I would consider myself a 40K fan, but I don't hardly play the war game at all. Um, it's really like, you know, unless unless I'm appearing on uh, on a stream of Big Battle Barracks with the big boys play, uh, you know, I'm probably, I'm probably not hardly thinking about them. Yeah, um, I actually started with Dark Heresy and ran a game that took the characters from like beginning power Dark Heresy and through Inquisition into Rogue Trader. Yeah, Ascension. What? Ascension. You said in through in through Inquisition. I thought Inquisition was the name. Of, or is it is it Ascension? Dark, Dark Heresy Ascension is the essentially epic rules for Dark Heresy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In uh, through that, in through. Uh, and through Rogue Trader into Death Watch, and so like people could always could dump their characters as be like other people on the ship that they were on, um, but like their ship was being contracted out by like, a bunch of other things. Um, for instance, like um, uh, they would like get contracts like, hey, pick up a couple of like, uh, uh, oh my god, you just we were just talking about Death Watch members, mm-hmm. and then like, hey, if you wanted to, you could instead of playing your character, if you want to jump jump ship and. And like now that character's an NPC, and you want to play one of the, the new things from the new thing we've stepped up into, you could. Yeah. Uh, some people kept their characters from Dark Heresy, and then some char- some people would be like, "Oh no, no, I've been waiting until we got to the point where we could be um, uh, Space Marines." Mm-hmm. And so, like by the time we were in like the final battles of it, like we have a truly ragtag group of people. A group of people that make no damn sense in terms of the setting as as is. But honestly, the story is just so fun at this point. Yeah, who cares? Who cares that we got the rogue trader here with like a hired gunman 
who is on par with the uh, with the Death Watch people. Oh yeah. Because honestly, I mean, that's that that's a very interesting character. <laughs> yeah. And oh. uh, I, we had I had a ton of fun with that game, but uh, that was one of the things that I would I would have rathered somebody who knew the system well and could have done it like more justice. Because I mostly just kind of had fun with like had fun with it. I think it's probably the better way to do it. Um, the the uh, incorporating the various games to work together is not advisable. It requires a lot of work on the front end. Um, and there's just some games that you wouldn't cross over logically. Like, Only War doesn't really work with Death Watch. Um, by then, uh, Dark Heresy 2nd Edition was already coming out, coming down the pipe. Um, you know, Black Crusade, you obviously wouldn't run with anything else because that's... Well, when I was playing, the only other three were available. Yeah, you're because uh, Black Crusade, you're playing uh, Chaos people. Yeah. Like only war came out like like literally like a month after my game ended like the 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 book for only war came out right um but yeah like uh the the playing as a space marine you get to feel really freaking powerful um to like it got to now we'll say once you get to a certain level of power all RPGs kind of become rocket tag. Yeah. Um, but it got to it got especially egregious in Death Watch, um, because after I would say five five to six months of play time, um, it didn't the it wasn't a question of can we kill the demon lord. It was how many demon lords can we kill. <laughs> um, which might not be the might not be what you're wanting in your grim dark uh, future. Right now, that being said, I will say the game, the players I was with were not the GM knew the 40k setting. The players didn't. We were learning as we played, and we were we were not uh, grim dark people. Right. We were very much four color, uh, you know, you know, you know, Deadpool from Marvel Comics, uh, you know, type of type of individuals. Uh, so it was it was fun. It was absolutely hilarious. Um, especially once we got to, once we had moved on from that from that system, and played like Dark Heresy, which is supposed to be more of a serious investigative kind of horror thing, this is where the story of Brother Patang came from, uh, where you know we were we were like on a train, snuck up to this guy to this guy in priest robes, put a basically a submachine gun to the back of his head, pulled the trigger, and the jail was like, you hear a Patang. Patang? <laughs> like it bounced off metal? <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> uh, but yeah, just for the for sparking an interest in a franchise, that is why Death Watch will go on 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 is one of my examples of a, of a great system. Oh, I um, mean, I I also didn't know anything about it. Now I'm somewhat well versed. Yeah, though I will say, if anyone is interested in interacting with the 40k franchise from a role-playing standpoint they do have a new system out uh wrath and glory uh which utilizes a pool d6 system um similar to the to the to the age system um like uh the and it has more it is more readily more readily incorporatable of like you know having 
an inquisitor and a space marine and a guardsman and people from different walks of imperial life interacting together. You know, partly because it takes place in closer to the modern, more modern age of 40K, where Abaddon has basically blew everything the fuck up. Uh, see, all right, but uh, do, you, do you have another one? Uh, no, I'm, uh, like, uh, two of the ones I talked about, I was, I was going to talk about, you talked about. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to talk about that one, I was going to talk about um, the Star Wars one. And so, uh, that pretty much, other than, like, things I've played, like, maybe a session or two of, like, that's, that, that I, I don't have a, a great range of, of systems I've played through. Because, uh, as a forever GM... Uh, I don't get invited to play in games, so I, I you always, get invited to run them. I get invited to run them, and so uh, if if it looks like it's too much work, I just don't do it. Fair enough. Um, I got to write the story and learn the system. Yeah, like like I said, I, I, and even then, I've I haven't touched the surface of of just how many different RPGs I've I've tried and either failed or 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 had a good time with. I still got I still got others I could bring up, but in the interest of brevity, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, cut it off there. All right. Um, anyway, it like, wasn't like we didn't have examples here. Oh yeah. So you know, this is the Cab Recorder Podcast. This is our, you know, one of our episodes talking about other tabletop systems because we talk about tabletop systems a lot. We talk oh, about tabletop oh, we forgot gaming. About fa- we forgot about Fatal. Damn it! All right. Yeah. We'll Sorry. Uh, anyway, anyway that's, that's good. We gotta save a part two, man. Oh, part two. Part two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see. That won't be the next episode. <laughs> uh, anal circumference. Anal circumference. Anal yeah. circumference. So this is us talking about, talk about D&D games. Um, I was, as always, your host, Patrick. Let me call us Jared. Say, say bye, Jared. Anal circumference. And uh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but you, if you found us, you probably found us on SoundCloud. You, you, you also find us on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. I don't know how for how much longer if he keeps chanting anal circumference to a beat. Um, but in any of those places, give us a like, give us a comment, give us a follow. Let us know what some of your uh, non D and D, non Pathfinder uh, RPGs are that you know you that might be your flavor. Take the sound clip of me saying anal circumference and make a whole song out of it, please. Somebody out there do that. I mean, sure. If you if if you're within range of range of my voice, go ahead and do that thing. He said, um, "I'm not gonna repeat it because I'll be damned if you're gonna take my voice and splice it into something compromising." <laughs> um, but like I said, we will catch you next time. Peace.